welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Uh, 13, John chapter 13. Yes, we are no longer in the book of Acts. Um, that was uh, shocking to my daughter just a second ago. She likes to see where I'm going to read from, and so she asked me, uh, where are we in Acts? I said, well, we're not in Acts anymore. Uh, we finished that last week after 37 weeks. Um, and so we're starting a new series this morning. You'll see it on the screens, Better Together. Uh, think of some famous pairings, peanut butter and jelly, red beans and rice. Some of you uh, weirdos like potato. Who likes potato salad with their gumbo? Like in, inside of the gumbo? I love it on the side of the gumbo. Why do you got to put those things together? I just don't understand it. Uh, some people think that is a wonderful pairing. Um, things are better uh, together. Um, even some places are better together. Ham and cheese pull boys are okay, but a ham and cheese pull boy at shortstop on Transcontinental, uh, there, there's just something special about that. Some things are better together. We used to have two dogs of the famous pairing from the Beatles song, Obladi, Oblada. We still have one of those dogs, but the dogs were named Desmond and Molly Jones. Any Beatles fans out there? Uh, you know that, Desmond and Molly Jones. Desmond, the one that we have left, was much better with Molly Jones around. He's kind of a dodo brain uh, now. He d- depended on that dog. And so the, some things are just better together. Uh, and, and you know, celebrations are better together. Um, it probably never happened again, so we like to live in the past in New Orleans. And so in 2010, when the Saints won the Super Bowl, do you, does anybody, some of you probably weren't even born at that time at this point, uh, but the Saints won the Super Bowl at some point. And it was better when you were in the room with someone else celebrating that together. Meals are better together. Sorrow is even better together as people are able to gather around us and bear our burns. Missions are better together. We're a part of an association of uh, some 100 plus churches and um, uh, and we're able to start medical clinics in underserved areas through Baptist Community Health uh, Services. And we were able to do that because as churches, as we pool our resources together, we're better together. We're able to do disaster relief better than most anybody in, 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 around because we are, are better together as we pool resources together to help people in times of need. Even our association of churches is one of the largest mission forces in the world because we pool resources together and on mission that we're, we're better together. Even the CDC tells us this, whatever you think about the CDC. Some people are kind of sour on the CDC after the last several years. Um, but the CDC tells us people with stronger social bonds have a 50% increased likelihood of surviving various um, medical conditions um, that they go through. Not a 50% more survival rate. Everybody must die at some point. Um, so we're not saying they live forever, but they fare better when they are together with other people. The CDC says that social concern, uh, connection, excuse me, social connection can help prevent serious illness and outcomes like heart disease, stroke dementia, depression, and anxiety, social connection, uh, whatever metrics they have to to see what social connection means. Uh, Nevertheless, social connection with others can help improve your ability to recover from stress, anxiety, depression, promote healthy eating, physical activity, and weight uh, loss, improve sleep, well-being, and quality of life. It reduces your risk of violent and suicidal behaviors and prevent death uh, from chronic diseases. We are better when we are together. 
Uh, Without people, even our physical health declines. Our brain function can possibly decline. Even difficult people make us better uh, because they cause us to grow and become better together. But we don't need the CDC to tell us that. We don't need an article to tell us that. And even some of these other things that I pointed to, we don't even need that to tell us that, though those are wonderful things. Uh, But I I hope that what we see through this series is that as a church, we are better when we are together. And by better, I'm talking even better than social, mental, and physical benefits. I'm talking healthy church. I'm talking people able to see Christ and know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. I hope we come through this series knowing that Riverside is better when you are here. When each of us shows up, we are better together. And so we're going to consider that, and we're going to lay some foundation for that today. Um, by this, what I read a second ago, the new commandment that the Lord gave us to love one another. And so we're going to lay a foundation for that series. And throughout this series, we're not going to go through all of these, but we're going to go through um, passages in Scripture where the Lord tells us to things like love one another. It's what some might call the one another passages in Scripture. Uh, so so let's just, just hold with me for a minute. We're talking about love one another. But there's other things that the Bible says that we are to do together. Love one another, honor one another, greet one another, welcome one another, show hospitality to one another, have fellowship with one another, agree with one another, live in harmony with one another, be at peace with one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, bear one another's burdens, comfort one another, care for one another, confess sins to one another, pray for one another, and we could still go on. That was about half of them. I think the scripture is clear that we're better when we're together. That when we are one another together doing these things. And so we're going to lay the foundation for that this morning because out of all these one another, bear one another, confess to one another, uh, be hospitable to one another, all these one another's, I believe they come out of this foundational command that Jesus gives us in John chapter 13 where Jesus says to love one another. Another. Let me read this to you again. Jesus says, just as John, I don't think I told you this a second ago, John 13, if, if I haven't said that yet, John 13 is where we are. We'll look at John 13, John 15, and Romans 13 today. So John 13, 34. <coughs> Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love, here it is, one another. One another assumes that we are better together, that we are together if we love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, verse 35, by this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus gives us this new command in John chapter 13. He says this, I give you a new command to love one another. And maybe you're thinking, all right, wait, time out. This is not a new command. The Old Testament talks about loving one another, about loving each other. So, so let's get a little context of what's going on where Jesus gives this command in John chapter 13. It's, it's the Thursday before his crucifixion on the Friday. 
Um, it's what, um, if you're part of a liturgical background, uh, have you heard of Monday Thursday? Um, we celebrated that here one time. But Monday Thursday is traditionally the day that uh, the Lord had the last Passover with his disciples. It's called Monday Thursday because that word Monday comes out of a transliteration of Latin, which means commandment. So that Thursday before his crucifixion on Friday is when Jesus gives this command. And it's in this moment that Jesus, you might remember earlier in John chapter 13, that he washes his disciples' feet. So it's at this feet washing ceremony, it's at this last supper moment that, uh, that Jesus gives this new command to his disciples. And it helps if we understand the context of what he's saying here, not just the physical context that it's the Thursday before his crucifixion on Friday, or it's at the feet washing. We know that physically, but spiritually what's going on, this, this moment in redemptive history that's going on, is that the glory of Jesus is being revealed. Listen to what it says in verse 31. Follow along with me here. So Judas had gone out, Jesus said, and then Jesus said this, Now is the Son of Man glorified. So the time had come for the Son to be glorified, for the Son to be lifted up, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you, and you will seek me just as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So so understand the moment in redemptive history that the glory of Christ is going to be revealed. The glory of God is going to be revealed on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because that is where sin is dealt with. That's where God is, that is, God is glorified. His justice is seen. His holiness is seen. As sin is dealt with, but his faithfulness is seen. His love is seen. Because the wages of sins fall upon Christ himself. God is merciful. He is gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. The cross is the highest point of God's revelation to mankind. Without the cross, there is no good news. And so the glory of Jesus is about to be revealed on the cross of Jesus Christ, that God will deal with sin and that we will live to tell about it, that he will die the death that we deserve so that we might live and have our sins forgiven. So that's what's happening, that God is being glorified. Christ is on his way to the cross. That moment has finally come. Now is the time in redemptive history that all of history has been driving to, to that point, redemptive history, to the cross of Jesus Christ. That crucial, pivotal moment is coming. But also coming is is the cross, but also coming is his departure. And Jesus tells him that soon he will depart the world. He's not saying that you can't be in heaven with me because he goes on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You come to the Father through me, that where I am, there you will also be. But his, his point here is that he will no longer be physically present upon the world, in, in the in the world. Jesus will soon depart the world. And, and so, so, so get what's going on here. And Jesus, love is clearly and perfectly displayed on the cross. And now, follow along with me, the church, the body of Christ, is now to display this love to the world. This is our responsibility. Not to be Jesus, but to shine the light of Christ in our world. Jesus is not here, but he has left us here in order to Show the love of Christ. So he gives this new command, not that it's new that God wasn't loved before. God is love. Not that he never told his people to love, but in this moment in history. So what's new about this commandment? It's new in the, in the sense of the moment in redemptive history that comes. So it's new because 
it has its source in Christ's love for them. In other words, you're about to see the love of God displayed on the cross of Jesus Christ, and now you have the perfect picture of love. But this commandment is new in the sense of where Jesus gives it in redemptive history. And it's new in the sense that, that this love is now going to define the disciples. It will define the community. If you want a great short read, read Francis Schaeffer's uh, The Mark of a Christian. If, if you have Hoopla or one of those online library resources, it takes about an hour to listen to. It's a very short book. But he says that love is the defining mark now of Christians. Not, not how we worship, not the temple or anything, but love is the mark. This is how God is glorified among us. To put all this together. Here's the new, this is how God is glorified among us. This is how the glory of God shines in River Ridge. This is how the glory of God shines through River Ridge and through Riverside. And that we know that God is among us by the way that we love one another. This new commandment is not new in the sense that God's people were unloving before, but it's new in the sense of where we find ourselves in redemptive history. This is the moment that all history has been driving to, the glorification of Christ, the glorification of Christ on the cross, and this new community that he forms, loving one another, that the people might know us by, or you're marked now by love. So that's the new command. I don't know about you, but commands like this can feel a little bit crippling. How many of you know that you have not loved in this way, as Christ has loved you? How many of you, even this week in your own homes or workplaces or or whatever, or even among the body of Christ, how many of you know that, that you have not done this? I have good news for you. With this command, as all the commands of Christ do, this command comes with power. Listen to me good. What Christ commands us to do, he empowers us to do. What Christ commands us to do, what God commands us to do, he empowers us to do. Look at John chapter 15. So this is the new commandment that you will love one another, and by this the world will know. Look at John 15, starting in verse 9. This is the famous passage of Jesus being, he's the true vine and we are the branches and we abide in him. Listen to what Jesus says. So, so this is the new command, what God, and here's point number two, what God commands, he empowers us to do. Look at verse nine. By this, I'm starting verse eight right now. Um, by this, the father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Look at verse nine. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Maybe you underline this. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So understand what Christ is telling you. So in the same discourse here, from John 13 going through 15, this is like a, a one big discourse that Jesus gives us, that you are to love. And now, he says, where we find that source of love, because you are not able to give away what you don't have. Right? 
If you're not being filled up, you will have nothing to give out. But what does he say? Abide in my love. So, so the source of all this is that we abide in the love of Christ, that we make our home in the love of Christ. That is the place we dwell. That is where we sit down. That is where we lay our head. That is where we live. We live in the love of Christ. And how does he love us? Greater love hath no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Look at verse 14. And you are my friends. So understand what our Christ is telling. Abide in that love. Greater love hath no man than this, that I lay down my life for my friends. This is how you are loved. He has laid down his life for you. Sinful you. Remember what he's doing in John chapter 13? He is washing his disciples' feet. That is some nasty stuff. How many of you would walk out today if you knew that we're about to wash some folks' feet around here? I, I, I probably wouldn't say, you don't want to be fooling with that, right? Because, because at that moment, you're kind of exposed and, and, and it's dirty and it's filthy. And, and Peter says, no, I, I must wash your feet. And, and Jesus says, no, I must wash you all together or you won't be clean. And And so what he is saying is that you must be washed by Christ, which implies that we are dirty, rotten, filthy sinners. And we need to be washed. We need someone to lay down our life for us. And we need someone to make us friends with God, because as we are, we are enemies of God. But greater love hath no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Abide in that love. Let that love fill you up. That he washes our feet. That he cleans us. That that we are filthy to the depths. If your heart was exposed this morning, you would know even more than how dirty your feet are. If your feet were exposed, you'd probably be embarrassed. If your heart was exposed, you'd be even more embarrassed. But Jesus says, I love you to the heights. And our plea is Christ. He laid down his life for us. The perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice. For you. Abide in that love. Abide in that love. And so Jesus is not saying here that some sort of conditional commandment that if you obey, then therefore you will be loved. And he's saying you are loved, and if you stay and abide in that love, you will be obedient. Love is not a result of our obedience. Rather, our obedience to love is the result of our love for him and his love for us. So we look to John 13, back from John 15, and we see the great love that he has for us, that he goes low for us, that he washes our feet. Love in this way, abide in that love. Point number two, this command comes with power, namely the power of Christ in you, the love of Christ in you. This command also comes with a purpose. Look at Romans 13. And understand as we go through this series, all of these one another's, they will come from this. So we have to kind of lay this foundation this morning. 
John, uh, excuse me, uh, Romans chapter 13. Here's what Paul writes. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So in loving, so, so know the purpose of this. So the power comes from Christ. And, and the result, the purpose of this is that the, the law is fulfilled. The demands of God are met as we love one another. You fulfill the law for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up by this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not, does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What Paul is saying here, that all of the law was driving to this. And Jesus himself said it, did it? That the law can be summed up in two ways. Love God and love people. The law was meant to be a tutor, was meant to be a schoolmaster to show us how to love God and how to love people. And now the Spirit of God dwells richly among us. The Spirit of Christ is in us so that we can love one another. The law is written on our hearts now in Christ so that we can love one another. And so the purpose, so that we fulfill the law of God. God gave this law to his people to to be kept inwardly from the heart. and, And now through Christ, we have the power to keep the law. In other words, we are able to please God, not in of ourselves, mind you, but through the power of Christ in us. Love fulfills the law because love does your neighbor no wrong. It loves God and loves people. So to obey Jesus is to love like Jesus. And at the cross, we are embraced by God. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love covers a multitude of sins. And so we have the power and we have the uh, the purpose. And let's consider some practicality of this. Here's two things that 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 I learned this week that I think are helpful. So he empowers us. We please God through this, through the power of Christ. The only way to please God is through the power of Christ, abiding in his love. Here's a couple of things to understand about love. Here's the first thing. And these are not original to me, by the way. Love is action, not just attraction. Let me say that again. Love is action, not just attraction. Back to the washing of feet in John chapter 13. There was nothing attractive about that job, right? It was unattractive. It was ugly. It was smelly. It took a servant to do this, but he came not to be served, but to serve our Christ did. And so Christ doesn't love us because we are beautiful. He didn't love his disciples because of who they were. But he loved them in order to make them beautiful. And too often as churches, we want to look attractive instead of looking like Jesus. And so what is Christian love? It is an action, it is a sacrificial action to die to self, to die to self-interest, to love no matter the cost. And we love in order to make much of Jesus. Love is action, not just attraction. Love says, my life for yours. How many parents know this? Parents, have you laid down your life for the sake of your kids? Hopefully you've done so to show them Christ. 
Is it because your kids are always, sorry kids, uh, attractive? Probably not. <laughs> is, is, is it because they're, they're always lovely? No, but, but love is an action and love is a commitment. And, and so we lay down our lives for our kids because we want them to see them flourish. That's what this love is like. That Christ lays down his life for us because he wants to see us flourish, to have joy, he says, and have joy completely, to have shalom, to peace, and to function as we ought to function. And so it's not just an attraction or being attractional. Love is an action. And so know that about love. Second thing about love, this is kind of the practicality, so the power and, and the purpose is filling, pleasing God. Now we're kind of seeing this practicality of that, so it's a it's not just attraction, but an action. Here's something else I found very helpful. Love is investing, not just giving. That really challenged me this week, because love is not just serving and making sacrifice. It is that. But if it was only that, it would just be a matter of the will. God commands love, and he's not just talking about a feeling, but an action. And it's an action, and, but what it's driving towards is some sort of goal. He washes them because they need cleaning. They, he washes them because he wants to show them how to, they're being served and clean. Jesus wants to see them glorious. Jesus wants to, to, to make them beautiful, to, to chip off the dross that maybe think, think of like, like a marble statue. Uh, maybe you can think about it all starts with a block of just marble, and, and the artist chips it away until it reveals the glorious picture he has in his mind. And so it is with, his, with, our, with our Christ that, that he's kind of chipping us away in order to reveal this, this beautiful thing so that his church might be presented spotless and blameless before him on that day. So it's not just if he gives himself away, but it's also investing in that. It is producing something. It's going towards an end. It's not an empty love, but it's a love that has a purpose and is going somewhere. And so that means, follow with me here, that if we are to be giving as a church and loving as a church, we're not just being generous, though that is certainly part of it. We are generous in a way that we are helping someone to a destination. Does that make sense? That they're actually going somewhere, that it's actually benefiting them and not just showing that you're loving. Does that make sense? Not just showing that you're generous. Oh, shucks, I'm just a, a generous guy. We, that, no, is it leading towards something? Is it making them, namely, more like Christ? That's how we love one another. So we love one another, and we're better together because we're help, able to love one another in that way. And, and, and so this command comes um, with some practicality, and this is how we are uh, to love. And the last thing I want you to see that this command comes with a promise. If we are to live in this way and we are better together, this command comes with a promise. Did you notice something? What's at stake here? Yes, it's the glory of God. That God is glorified as we love each other in this way, as we are better together. But your joy's at stake. Your joy's at stake. By removing yourself from people and not loving one another, being kind to one another and living in community with one another, do you notice what he says here in John fifteen eleven? 
Look at this. These things I have spoken to you abide in my love, to love one another. Do you see this? That my joy, he gives us his joy. My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So your joy is at stake. And I want you to know something else. The joy of our church is at stake by the way that we love one another and by the way we abide in his love. So he promises joy. And notice what else he promises. You see these several times in Scripture. John eleven thirty five. 35. Here's what he says. Excuse me, John 13, 35. By this, your love for one another, here's the promise, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So our joy and the promise that the watching world will know who our Christ is. John 17, verse 20 through 21, Jesus says it again in the same discourse. He says, I don't ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 21 that they may be one just as you, Father, and I, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, here it goes, so that, here's the promise, here's the purpose, here's where it's driving, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So understand this, the watching world will know that you are my disciples with the implication that they will believe that Jesus was sent by the Father for sinners by the way that we love one another. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your joy is at stake and what the watching world knows about Christ is at stake by the way that we love one another. Francis Schaeffer called it this. He says that our love and our unity for one another is the final apologetic to a watching world. He, he says everyone longs to be loved and to be known and be loved to the heights. And we know what that love is like. And this also means that the world's in a way, has the right to say we are not Christians if we don't love one another in that way. So there's a lot at stake here, isn't there? If we love one another, our joy in what the watching world has seen. I don't know about you, but I believe that we're better together And I believe that if we love as Christ loved and welcomed one another as Christ does, if we love God and love people, people will sense that Jesus himself has come to town. When Jesus starts this new community, as we saw in the beginning, he begins with the worst business plan ever. He gets together a bunch of bankrupt sinners and washes their feet. And by this, beauty enters into an ugly world. Schaefer goes on to say in his book, one cannot explain the explosive power of the early church apart from the fact that they practiced two things simultaneously, the orthodoxy of doctrine and the orthodoxy of community in the midst of a visible church. And so this, this means if we want to see unbelievers come to Christ, those unbelievers need to see evidence of community around Christ. They need to see the love of Christ in action. They need to see not just trying to be attractional, but the action of love. 
They need to see not just generous people, but people who invest in each other and in their community. They need to see the mercy of Christ in action. Schaefer goes on to say they need to show that it's possible to have something beautiful and unusual in this world. Imagine a community like that where the world could look at Riverside and say, There's po- there, there can be beauty in this broken world. There is love in this unloving world. There is unity in this divided world. And it's only found around the cross of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, if if others cannot see something beautiful in our human relationships, if they do not see that upon the basis of what Christ has done, our Christian communities can stop bickering, they're fighting and they're infighting, then we are not living properly. The church is meant to be an alternative community, a real family bound by love. He goes on to say this, his famous quotes, If the church is what it should be, better together, loving one another. We're going to build on that throughout this series. Young people will be there, he says. But they'll not just be there. They'll be there with the blowing of horns and the clashing of high-sounding cymbals, and they will come dancing with flowers in their hair because they will know that is a place where I can be loved as Christ loves. That's difficult, isn't it? Because we think about times I have not loved that way, maybe you have not loved that way, But I pray that we will learn over the course of these next seven or eight weeks or so to love in such a way where those who are weary can seek rest, those who mourn can be comforted, those who struggle can find strength, those who are sinners will find a Savior, those who are strangers will be welcomed as Christ has welcomed us, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will come and be filled and that these church doors will be open wide and offer her welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we love one another as Christ has loved us. uh, us. And by this, all people will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. Let's pray.